0: Welcome to FileMaker Off the Record. You're listening to Thomas and Teresa of Profile Developers discussing all things FileMaker for developers and power users. Well, hello, Teresa. Hello, Thomas. How are you? <laughs> I am well. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I can't, can't complain.
1: Well, that's good, because I don't like to hear complaints. Oh, good. (laughs) That's not my thing.
0: That's why this works out well. Right. On tonight's show, Mm -hmm. we are going to do an interview. Who are you going to interview? We're going to interview you.
1: Oh, get out of town. Yeah.
0: So this is, well, this is episode 21. 21? And...
1: I'm 21. Plus, (laughs) plus, 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 plus.
0: And... I realized that we never had an introduction episode. Like, the first episode we did mm-hmm. was on 17.
1: Oh, version 17. So nobody knows who we are.
0: Apparently not.
1: We should enlighten them.
0: Yeah, so that's what we're going to do tonight.
1: Sounds S- like a good idea.
0: So let's start with the basics, like with with every FileMaker developer. Mm-hmm. When did you start using FileMaker?
1: Do you want the date or the version? Because I don't remember the date. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think in versions.
1: Versions are easier.
0: I remember which version was held when I got married.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um I started using FileMaker in version 8.5. Okay. Was that the only point release that they did?
0: There were there, there was a couple point versions before that because four point one, that's the first one I remember. Was the first version to have, like, ODBC importing.
1: Okay.
0: And that was the first version to be released by FileMaker Incorporated.
1: Oh. What were the ones before?
0: It was a company called Claris.
1: Oh, that sounds familiar. <laughs>
0: Doesn't it?
1: All that is old is new again, yeah. right? Yeah,
0: so we're going back to four. Four was Claris and 4.1 was FileMaker.
1: And what then, year was that? Uh, four
0: one was 1999. 99?
1: 99. Okay. How time flies.
0: Yeah. Version 5.5 was the first version to be um, Mac OS 10 native.
1: Okay. Just as an aside, I recall when Mac OS 10 came out and I worked in IT and for whatever reason, for marketing, I guess, uh, every time there was a new release of the Mac OS, they would send me posters. And so at one point, I finally cleaned my office, like one of those, you know, biannual rituals. You know, I had a typical IT office. It was crazy, full of cables and old manuals and lots of paper and all kinds of dust. I eventually hung every Mac OS X poster that I had and kind of wallpapered the room with it. <laughs> it was really it was really kind of interesting cuz you don't get that anymore a company mailing in those big cardboard tubes a whole bunch of thick paper posters to hundreds of thousands of people every you know every release
0: so you started with 8.5
1: that's a very long answer to a very short question
0: <laughs> in so that would that would have been around 2006 So about 13 years ago or so.
1: Sure. Sounds good.
0: Where were you working?
1: So I was working at a nonprofit called Pittsburgh Filmmakers, which is located in Pittsburgh. And at the time, they would posit a claim to fame as being one of the only places on the East Coast where you could uh, still take classes and use 16 millimeter and 8 millimeter film. So Pittsburgh Filmmakers was a nonprofit that was affiliated with local colleges like the University of Pittsburgh, Carnegie Mellon, and Point Park University, among others. And they offered four credit classes as well as independent classes in photography, filmmaking, digital content creation, and then had also classes in theory, uh, like film theory and screenwriting and things like that. So it was a very cool place to work. I think my title was the manager of IT or something like that. But I was essentially the IT department. Anything that had to do with computers came through me. I did all the purchasing. I did all the installations, all the lab imaging, all of that stuff. Um, And I also taught classes there in a... um, my, my specialty was a class called Introduction to Digital, where I would teach students about the Macintosh basics and the interface, and the operating system, and then would also talk about Photoshop and whatever editing, uh, video editing program we were dealing with at the time. It's a fun job and a lot of fun people. Working with artists, Working with is, artists always is always a little, yeah. it's always fun. Sometimes it's a little weird, but it's always interesting and they're good people.
0: So you picked up 8.5. We're mm-hmm. still there. And <laughs> why did... So filmmakers started to use FileMaker?
1: Uh, yeah, filmmakers had been using FileMaker for a number of years. Um, and I was forced to use FileMaker. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. Um, so because I was the IT department, it was kind of a natural progression for me to get involved in the FileMaker systems that were already in place. There had been... I think there were two systems that they were using based in FileMaker. So there was a registration database, I believe, that had been built in version 3. So with the donations program, we got a new uh, executive director And he said, you know what we need to do? We need a database. And so he purchased a version of donations, which is a FileMaker box product um, that was available at the time. And he had some interns um, from, I think, from CMU. And one of those interns kind of tried to reverse engineer FileMaker donations to make it match some of our processes. And the first intern, she was great. She was such a hard uh, worker. I remember going into the little tiny office that she had at the time she was working there, and she had covered the walls in relationship (laughs) graphs. And at the time, I didn't know what she was doing. I didn't know what I was looking at. I walked into her office and went, oh my God, I'm glad I don't have to work on this. Whatever the heck she's doing. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Oh, and then the tides have turned. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So then she left because she's an intern. So every three months your interns disappear. That's the way interns work. Note to everyone, don't hire an intern to build the entire concept that your database is built on because the next intern could have cared less. She was not interested in databases. She had no idea what was going on. She didn't get it. She didn't like it. And she couldn't do it. So in the three months that she was there, I think not a lot happened. And that's where you came in. You were hired to help out with that. And then in the next three months, I offered my head up on a platter and said, okay, fine, I'll follow this guy around and see if I can figure out what's going on. And I thoroughly enjoyed myself. I thought it was very interesting. I never had kind of connected the dots in the past about how creating, uh, you know, creating a program and, you know, working to build an application um, was such a creative process. You know, I just had never thought of that. And it was probably because I was thinking of coding as just all this typing and all these languages. And I had never done that. Uh, My high school had, I don't know, three computers and there were no programming classes. There was no anything. All the IT information that I learned, I learned on the job and just having an affinity for it. So yeah, when I started learning about FileMaker I thought that it was great it was you know I can make buttons and I can have them do things and uh, I can you know create something new from nothing and I can make it do whatever I want which was really really cool I did I did really enjoy that FileMaker ended up being you know 50% of my job so half of my job was to take care of all the computers make sure all the software was updated, make sure all the installs happened, make sure I was purchasing the right stuff. Um, So there was that whole side of things. And like, you know, tech support for, oh, hey, my email doesn't work. Oh, hey, my computer crashed. Oh, hey, my speakers died. So I was dealing with that on for 50% of my job. And then the rest of it was building a whole ton of stuff for the organization as a whole. Because there was the... Donations database. So we started reverse engineering that. Um, you know, so that was tracking the donations. But then um, you built a the library piece, right? Right. And so the library piece was talking to students. But you had to have been you you had to have worked on the registration piece at the same time. I was.
0: We we had done because a those lot. were we all were,
1: linked in the back.
0: Right. We were retrofitting donations to to work. The difficulty there
1: mm-hmm.
0: was my primary contact with not you. <laughs> mm-hmm. My primary contact at Filmmakers was determined to work with the donations, which was a basically kind of a full solution that FileMaker was distributing. I, I think they sold it. At yeah, the time? it was
1: it was a box. You could buy it in a box off of the
0: shelf. Okay. From a store. So that's back then, yeah. Um,
1: and it was like 150
0: bucks and it you know there was a lot of there was a lot of interesting stuff in there however the i have every developer over time gets their own style and their own standards standards mm-hmm. and donations was not mine it was somebody right. else's
1: right and you didn't want to use Working, it. Working.
0: Well, it was difficult. You know, it, it slowed down the progress.
1: Right. Well, you, when you're trying to work within, like we ended up building a lot of things on our own because we were adding things also.
0: Yeah. And we ended up building so much custom and it, you know, linking it up was.
1: Yeah. Because I think inside donations is where the, the artist memberships went initially. So we built that into donations. And then the registration the student registrations and enrollments were a different database.
0: Yeah, they were completely separate.
1: Right. So we had the uh, enrollment registration database, which had, uh, you know, enrollments, students, courses, classes, sessions, you know, for every year, all the reports. So all the student side stuff was in one system. The library was over here on the right. And then the artist memberships and donations were in the middle and they were all trying to talk to each other right. um, and that kind of worked but I think some of the donation stuff made it a little more complicated than it needed to be it, a- it
0: absolutely did and yeah. there was also a little bit of politics of course So it's know.
1: a non-profit
0: yeah so <laughs> that you know made it a little bit difficult to work as mm-hmm. well right I never got it the way I really wanted it to be.
1: Don't we all say that about like almost everything <laughs> that we send out into the wild afterwards or, or any any solution that you see X years later? It doesn't matter what it is. You look at it and you go, oh, why did I do that? Oh, I wish I would have done such and such. I remember the first app that I built the first FileMaker system that I built. It was separate from all of the interconnected uh, things that we were doing at Filmmakers. It was a point of sale application for the Center for the Arts shop. So there's this super cool, funky little store. uh, It's a consignment shop over at the Center for the Arts, and they did not have a great connection to anything. So the solution So so one of the things that they said was, um, yeah, we used to have a program, a point of sale program, but it didn't work out for us because everything had to be loaded into inventory before we could put it on the floor for sale. And we just don't work that way. Artists show up, um, because everything in the shop was consignment. Um, there were some pieces that were like in the galleries that were on display But almost everything was an artist would show up with a box full of stuff, and and they wanted to put it out on the floor immediately, Uh, and they knew who the artist was. The artist was required to tag every single item with their code. So each artist was given an alphanumeric code based on their last name, and that's how they knew who was going to get the money. Uh, So they said that the software that they had tried to use previously just wouldn't work because they had to sit there and enter in every single item. And so if an artist came in and if they came in and said that they have these magnets, say there's a bunch of little magnets that look like fish, they brought in 50 fish magnets. If all of the fish magnets, no matter what color they were, all had the same code, like item code, they were fine. They could say, oh, artist A B O one brought in a quantity of 50 of item FISH01. But if the artist said, oh, well, the orange ones are FISH01 and the blue ones are FISH02 and the green ones are FISH03, then they would have to go in and itemize like everything. So they couldn't work with that um, because a lot of times what they would do, especially for holiday sales, is they would have a hundred artists come in over two days and bring 4,000 items. So it was not possible for them to get all of that stuff into the store and out on the floor um, if they had to load it into a system first. My goal in creating the software was to create something where all the artists and the artist codes were loaded into the system And what the system would do is it would allow you to enter inventory beforehand, but it could also enter inventory at the point of sale. So somebody would want to buy a scarf. They would come up to the checkout. Uh, They would look at the tag, put in the artist code and the item code, and hit the lookup button. If it failed, it would say enter a description and a price. They would do that, it would immediately add it to inventory and add it to the sale. So that solved that problem for them and made them possible, you know, made it possible for them to actually do sales you know on the fly, which a, is what they had to do to match their process.
0: Which is a perfect example of the problems with off the shelf software. Right. I I I can't tell you how many solutions I've built. I have no idea. It's right. uh, a lot, yeah, and eighty percent of the solutions had contact management in them, mm-hmm. and every single one had something that was different about every. You know, right? There's some piece that this company does not do it like that, like this company, and mm-hmm. and that's just a, a perfect example why custom software is, it's just where it's at. It's the only practical direction to take in almost any business, unless you're in a franchise.
1: Mm-hmm. Right, and that's one of the things I liked a lot about being an in-house developer is that anytime somebody turned their head, they'd say, oh, we could build a system for that. Why don't we track that? Why don't we build something in FileMaker for that? And so there was this endless amount of work and an endless amount of creative challenges and solutions that you could give to these problems. So... Uh, I really liked that. It was an interesting place to work. It was an interesting place to develop for. Um, And I think I spent 90% of my waking hours there. (laughs) That was filmmakers. That was filmmakers.
0: And that was the first thing you built? Yes. Primarily on your own?
1: Yes. Yeah. I think uh, I would show you what I had done and you would say, oh, you should do it this way. Or make suggestions, but for the most part, I built that by myself. And to my knowledge, they are still using that today.
0: Very probable. Right. At some point, you left filmmakers. I did. And you took a full-time position doing uh, being an in-house FileMaker developer, mm-hmm. where no longer had to take care of IT. Right, although they
1: tried to have me take care of IT briefly because their IT guy left.
0: Ah, well, yeah.
1: But they were mostly PCs at that place. Right. And PCs were not my expertise. And then also they had uh, enough FileMaker work that my value was not being used properly with with putting me into IT, you know. And and, and the other thing about um, that place was like so many manufacturing companies rely on some older technology and older machinery that requires some very deft handling and kid gloves. Like they had a CNC machine that would only work on a machine that ran on uh, Microsoft ME. So, (laughs) so because of that, if that guy had a problem, it was just like, Oh, so there were some very unique challenges relating to connected hardware in their environment. So while I recognized that and appreciated it, like I said, they realized that my time was much better used and there was much more value in me working on FileMaker because I could bang that stuff out rather than, uh, you know, tripping over IT issues.
0: So this is after just a couple of years working with a little bit of FileMaker uh, Mm -hmm. internally with filmmakers. Mm -hmm. And you... Had some training under me.
1: Mm-hmm. It went to a couple of um, of the DevCons
0: and did some sub work for me. Yes. And then after just a few years, then you then you got that. Mm-hmm. That went on for another uh, three years. Three years. Yes. Okay. And then after those three years, then you came to work for me. I did. Uh, as a full time, right? Yes. What was that transition like going from in-house to a full-time developer for a FileMaker development company?
1: That was, it was fine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I enjoyed being in-house quite a bit. Um, I always found it fascinating to get, insight into how each different department and how different people in different departments handle the uh, issues that are thrown with them and how they solve the problems because even custom software can't solve everything and so um, people are always working around their issues. So one of the biggest differences was that I went from working in an office most of the time, because I did work from home quite a bit. They they were very flexible. One of the biggest differences is working in an, in an environment where there's a lot of people and you get to uh, interact with a lot of bodies and a lot of brains to uh, only interacting with a limited set of people. That's a big difference. But you're still working with lots of people you're just not in the same offices as that as they are, you know, right. you know, it's a lot of conference calls, a lot of on-site visits. Um, you know, you're still, you, you just have to ask more of the right questions to learn about those processes and learn about the workarounds and how somebody gets their job done because you can't see it working full time for a file maker development company. It's a lot of the same things. Instead of different departments having their issues, it's different companies. Your kind of w- worldview grows exponentially as to what you get exposed to
0: as you progress through levels of expertise. Mm-hmm. And so, how do you continue to learn beyond hands-on? There's I. I think I told told you this when I started training you, and even now you learn more from hands on than almost anything yeah so but what are what else do you do well you and you you stay you keep your certifications up to date, yes, and I know studying for those helps improve your skill level oh
1: yeah i love I love going back and reading some of the basics just because my brain isn't as bright and shiny as it used to be. If I am faced with a challenge or a process or a technique that uh, I haven't used yet, um, I'll usually Google it and then you know follow the threads down the rabbit hole uh, and try to find the best way to solve the problem. One of the challenges I had recently with a report was trying to figure out how to display some temporary information regarding the report. So there's some, there's these records, and they can potentially be linked to the contacts in the solution. So I was trying to think of a way to display these uh, for this potential match that wouldn't be too complicated and I thought oh you know I could do with like a virtual report but I don't want it to be virtual because I want it to be kept in there I don't want to do a whole bunch of feel- like how I want it to look nice when it displays I don't want to just do a text field and like try to line things up that'll be ugly and I thought well this is a perfect use for a repeated field. Repeated fields. We never use repeated fields for almost anything. But they're still useful for some stuff. And I thought this was perfect because the display will be consistent. It'll look nice. I can I can manage the, the look of it. Um, you know, I can just script the setting and the clearing fine. It's not a lot of uh, pomp and circumstance, nothing fancy. It's going old school. <laughs> you know, so sometimes... Stretching yourself and trying something new is trying something that you don't usually do, even though it's it's old because repeated fields are what from when?
0: Pre-relationships.
1: Right. So they've been <laughs> around forever. But we rarely use them in what we do. That was, um, that's
0: how we would show like invoice line items. Mm-hmm. What's the best compliment you ever got from a client?
1: Um, I was called a digital goddess. I was told that should be on my business cards.
0: <laughs> I'm not sure what that means.
1: <laughs> I think it, it came from a feminist. So okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it had to be good.
0: Okay. Well, good. That sounds like a compliment to me.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I got, I got a lot of compliments about being able to... Um, like, I had good bedside manner with IT. You know how IT people usually have a bad rap with dealing with users and giving them a hard time, you know, I was always very pleasant. I'd never mean to anybody. So everybody, no no one was afraid to come to me with an issue or afraid to ask me a question because uh, I might come down on them hard. One time somebody said, my speakers don't work. And, you know, I came to their office and I said, did, did, did you, did you maybe kick the, power cord out <laughs> under your desk, because I know how you sit and I know where your, you know, surge strip is. And she looked down and she went, oh, yep, that's it. Thanks. <laughs> so one of the easier issues to deal with, you know, yeah, I had, had, had a good good rapport with a lot of people.
0: Well, that was one of the reasons I hired you.
1: Mm-hmm. That's what I hear.
0: After you worked here for a while as a full-time employee, then you became partner.
1: Yeah, that was that was was about a, a year ago. Yeah, it was a, a quick, not quick, but a, a <laughs> smooth transition. Yes. Sometimes I forget. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so if you could turn back time and talk to your 18-year-old self, so just a few years ago.
1: Is that really how it would work to turn back time to do that? Wouldn't you have to be speaking through something? Because if me now is talking to someone... Don't the rules of time travel not work that way?
0: Anyway, (laughs) if you could turn back time (laughs) and speak to your 18-year-old self, what would you tell her?
1: So I was an undecided major, and um, they stuck me in a dorm with a bunch of pre-med students because I think they wanted me to go pre-med. I don't know. They probably said, I don't know what to do with this undecided kid. We'll just stick her over here with a bunch of pre-med kids. Because one, one of my roommates was a pre-med. The other one was a uh, physical therapy. Somebody else was occupational therapy. So there are all these like med students around. And I just helped them with our English homework and philosophy because they couldn't get, they didn't get any of that stuff. So I would probably... Tell my 18 year old self to go check out computers, because I swear I probably had very, very little exposure to computers at that time. And if I had looked into programming languages, um, I probably would have I, I probably would have gravitated towards web design. Before anything else, just because everything's so readily available and it's very visual because I always I've always been a very visual person and I like web design anyway. Yeah, I I probably would have said, oh, hey, look into web design, look into, you know, get get your hands on computers and do stuff there, because, you know, once I got to filmmakers, which was several years later, you know, I always had a computer in front of me. I was taking care of them, or I was doing tutorials, or I was learning software. Or I was using, you know, I, I was glued to them. I was probably primed <laughs> at the time, and it and it would have would have done me good, I think.
0: What do you do in your just to wrap up? Mm-hmm. What do you do in your spare time? I feed people. Whatever spare time means. Yeah.
1: yeah. I have to stop work to go make dinner
0: <laughs> for multiple
1: people in my household. So I at, at 5.15, I look up and I go, oh, crap. I have to stop what I am doing and go downstairs and make mashed potatoes and chicken or whatnot. Although I really <laughs> like cooking, I enjoy planning a menu that I know everybody here is going to like. <laughs> So that makes me happy.
0: Oh, that's good. Well, thank you.
1: Well, you are welcome. Thanks
0: for taking the time to do the <laughs> the interview. The interview,
1: the the uh, the officially mandated interview. Yes. You will attend <laughs> the dictator's birthday. That's our show. Thank you, everyone, for listening.
0: We absolutely appreciate it. If you have any questions, you can always reach us online at offtherecord at Mm profiledevelopers.com. You can find these podcasts listed at profiledevelopers.com slash blog. And we're on iTunes. And if you have a free minute and wouldn't mind going to iTunes and rate us, we'd appreciate that as well. Yes, please do. Thanks. Bye everybody.